Acts chapter 1 um, is where we're going to be. We're going to look at the verse 16 verses there. And uh, we're, we're going to do that by, by setting the stage for the, the new year. I, I do. I have, I have a word for this year. Last year was trust. Um, I definitely think that God tested me and us as a church in trusting Him in 2020. Amen? Um, <laughs> two years ago, we had Deeper. We even got the t-shirt for Deeper. We didn't get a t-shirt for 2020. That's probably a good thing. But we, may, we might get a t-shirt for this one. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see how the message goes first today. But, uh, but the word for 2021, my challenge for us this year, and kind of what everything's going to point to um, that we're going to preach about from this pulpit for this coming year it's very simply engage. Engage. E-N-G-A-G-E. Engage. So I want to start this by thinking what comes to our minds when we hear the word engage? Shout it out. What comes to our minds when we hear the word engage? Together, right? To be together, right? To engage together. What else? Reactive? Be active. active. Thank you. Sorry, Claudia. Be active, right? To be active, to engage with something, right? Because we could be passive, but but engagement implies that we're going to engage with something. We're going to be active. All right, what else? Commit. Do it with purpose. Let's kind of go hand in hand. All right, y'all are thinking too spiritual. All right, what about? (laughs) Engage. Right? Right? Sorry, I'm taking Landon. Okay. But, uh, but, right? I mean, we think of engagement, right? We think of asking somebody, right, to marry us or, or being asked to be, right, to be married to. Um, you know, different things like that. Engagement um, in like 40 years, right, Troy? For the girl, 40, 50 years. Okay. Um, but, but, like, um, we, we, think of, we think of that. What else? You hear the word engage. Invest, yes, engage in investments, yeah, involve, I think I heard involved back there. There's one more, anybody? Taking something on, Taking something on. yeah, I'm engaging a task, a mission, yeah. Engaging the word, word. yeah, we're going to talk about that. Commitment. Commitment, that's good. What about engaging in a battle? Right? I'm going to engage in battle, right? Because, you know, you, you're, kind of on that, you're kind of on that outskirts, right? And then the enemy's coming and you have a decision, right? Do I flee or do I engage, right? Do I engage in the battle? I was reading in Genesis on Saturday, chapter 3, and was just reminded. Um, Genesis chapter 3 talks about the serpent being the most crafty of all the creatures, more crafty than any other creature. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, it brought me to First Peter that he's seeking someone to devour, to, to, to just, the enemy wants to devour us, right? And we're engaged. Well, there's a battle, right, that's going on all around us all the time. And, and some of us are kind of sitting passively letting it happen, right? While others of, of us are engaged in the battle, right? But there's different levels of engagement. But before we keep going, let's, let's define it. Let's define the word. Engage means to occupy, to attract, or to involve someone's interest or attention. So I'm trying to engage you right now into a sermon. Every time I start my messages, I start with something to try to engage each one of us into attention, 
right? That we answer through Scripture. And so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to grab your attention right now from making your grocery list or from thinking about your 2021 goals and how some of them are already out the window just 72 hours in. I'm trying to, I'm trying to engage your attention now for the next three to four minutes until you tune out with something because that's our attention spans. And then you'll come back in. It used to be seven minutes, but we're we're down in the three to four minute range, which is okay, all right? But I'll, t- I'll tell a joke in a couple minutes, or I'll talk about the Patriots game at one o'clock or something like that, give you a break, and then try to bring you back in, right? But I'm engaging you, right? I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to, um, with all of us, right, pull us into a common thing. Another uh, definition of engage, to participate or become involved in, right? That's what we do in the church, right? We want we want players. We want participators. We don't want people that are going to sit in the stands and be fans and criticize and throw their popcorn or spill their sodas or stuff like that, right? We want people that are going to engage in the game and play in the game with us, right? Engage in the battle with us. But one of my favorite definitions that I saw was to give full attention to. To give full attention to. Because in order, for us, in order for us to be engaged, right, we can't be one foot in, one foot out, because that's not engagement, right? That's not engagement. To be engaged means I'm, I'm giving you my full attention. And nobody knows this more than kids, do they? Like, your kids can totally recognize when you're not engaged as a parent. Kristen and I were driving last night. We just had Vera in the car. Vera's three years old. And Kristen and I were talking, we were having a conversation, and, um, and all of a sudden from the back seat, Vera, mommy, 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 mommy. And the longer it takes you to engage, the more frequently they say it. Mommy, 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 mommy. She realizes that mommy's not going to engage with her and give her the attention, right? Daddy! For some reason, when it turns to daddy, it's more intense. Like daddy, 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 right? Finally, we finished. We got like a quarter mile, half mile down the road. I don't even know. But we, fin- we, we, we finished what we were talking about. And Kristen was driving and she said, Vera, what do you need, love? And Vera goes, I saw a Christmas tree on the roof of a house and it had colored lights on it. We chuckled, right? We chuckled. But she wanted our attention. She wanted our full attention. And she knew, she knew that we weren't engaged with her, right? And she was, she's two, you know, she's three years old. She doesn't know to let mommy and daddy finish talking about whatever we were talking about, right? Because it was not as important as the Christmas tree on top of the house. It just wasn't. Our kids know we're not engaged. And it makes me think of that verse. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in Heaven know how to give good gifts to His children? And I can't help but think, in the same way, in the same way that our kids know, right? How much more is our father trying to grab our attention and just know that we're not engaged with him, right? How, how much more, you know, and just, it just made me think like, hey, we try so hard to hear from God at times. 
and it feels like our prayers aren't even hitting the ceiling and we just feel like we get frustrated when we spend 10 minutes in His Word and we don't get a sermon or it's 8.25 on a Sunday morning, you're beating your head up against the wall trying to figure out what you're going to say all day and it's just not clear to you. Happened to anybody else? Okay, maybe not. But sometimes it just feels like God's not hearing us. God's not engaged. Like, God, God, I'm right, I'm right, God, God, I'm right here. And I want to talk to you about staying engaged with Him. Staying engaged with Him. Staying engaged with His bride. And staying engaged with your community, the platform that, that, that God has given you to be a witness to. Because there is a mission. There is an action that He's called us to. So let's look at Acts chapter 1. Let's unpack it a little bit more. And we'll keep talking about these things. It says here, in the first book with Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, stop right there. Who's writing this? Luke. Good job. Luke. Cindy Elder. All right. Luke's writing this, right? And Luke also, this is his second letter because he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And the same four verses of the Gospel of Luke, he starts out pretty similarly. He addresses Theophilus. Right, and he and he and he and he sets the stage. We looked at it a few weeks ago during Advent. He and he sets the stage for Jesus. That John was coming. It was the it was the one where we talked about joy, and that that John was going to prepare the way for Jesus. And here he says he has dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized you with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath, day, day, uh, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which this Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now, I want to stop there. I want to basically sum up everything that's happened. Okay? And so Jesus, we see, right? We, we've just talked about the birth of Jesus for four weeks, right? We're fast forwarding now, three and a half years, 
to where Jesus' ministry has been fulfilled. No, not just three and a half years. Excuse me, 33 and a half years. Right? His entire life, I said three and a half years in the first service. I bet some people on Facebook had a heyday with that. But 33 and a half years later, we're fast forwarding, right? His whole life, right? Jesus is born, 33 and a half years, crucified, goes to the grave, three days later, rises again, right? And that's where we pick up here that all of this has been fulfilled. Now Jesus returns, and he appears, right? He resurrects, he appears for about 40 days, Luke says, to about 120 of his closest friends, his disciples, Mary, his brothers, right? And a few others, 120 people, right? And what you need to see here, and what's going to be pivotal for us over the next 12 weeks, 13 weeks, is that this is the first church. This is the first gathering of believers post-resurrection, right? Post-resurrection, that is now commissioned, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples. We also see a version of the Great Commission here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Um, uh, oh, and you'll be my witness. Uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Great Commission, right? Just another way of wording it. And so, and so Jesus is now commissioning the church here, Acts 1, 8, and then he ascends into heaven. And I love this. I love this. I know some of you have heard me say this before, but I love this, that, the, that as Jesus is ascending into heaven, the disciples are kind of standing there, right, watching Jesus ascend into heaven. He's going, he's getting smaller and smaller, I imagine, as he goes, right, and these two, and these two men in white robes come and stand right, right among them, right among the 120 standing there, and they say, why are you still gazing into heaven, right? He's given you a mission. He's given you a task, You've got to engage with the task. You've got to embrace the mission. You've got to go, right? He's going to come back the same way he's going. You've got responsibility. So they go back to the upper room. What do they do? They start worshiping, right? They, they devote themselves to prayer. They devote themselves to prayer. And then Peter gets up. Peter gets up and starts addressing them, right? And talks about, uh, they essentially, he talks about Judas, right? Who betrayed them, who betrayed Jesus, Right? And, and so eventually they're going to replace him. And then Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And then 3,000 people are added to their number daily. And so on. Right? And so, so we see here, right, the continuation. We see here the continuation of Jesus' ministry transitioning from Jesus. He's ascending into heaven to the people through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why our vision statement, right, to make disciples of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not powerful. Summit Church isn't powerful. We are not powerful in and of ourselves. We can do a lot of things. We can do a lot of things. But we can also do a lot of damage if it's not done under the power of the Holy Spirit. Church at Laodicea reminds me of that, right? Church at Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door and let me in, I would love to come in and worship with you. What was happening? The church was up in the church worshiping, and Jesus was outside the church. Right? Knocking. Hey, guys, love to come worship with you. If anyone would open the door and let me in. Right? And so we've got to engage with Jesus. I believe there's six things I want to point out to you here from Acts. We've already talked about a few of them, so we'll go quick. Six things, and then I got a challenge for you. You ready? About two more hours, and we'll be done, all right? Two more hours. The first thing that we've got to see here is that Jesus models engagement. Jesus modeled this. 
Jesus modeled engaging with people. I mean, we don't see it just here. You think back to all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all stories of how Jesus engaged with people. He engaged with people. He spent time with people. He placed himself in people's paths so that he could engage with them. He engaged with people. Look at verse, um, let's start in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, so after his crucifixion, after he's raised from the dead, by many proofs, all right, thinking about putting the, uh, Thomas putting uh, his hands in, in the holes, uh, touching the holes of Jesus and Jesus' hands, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. But to wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus models engagement. He was present with them. He was present with them. He was present. He wasn't tweeting about where he was going next. Or Instagramming or whatever. Tick. Talk tick. Whatever. Whatever it is. Right? He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't you know, consumed with anything other than engaging with the person across from him, right? He modeled this, staying with them as long as he needed to, right? He modeled this. The second thing that we see here in verses 4 and 5, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart um, from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, and this is from Luke, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's promises in engaging with God. There's promises in engaging with God. And you know what? One of the things we're going to see over the next few weeks, there's promises in engaging with his bride, the church. There's promises in being a witness for him. There are promises in engaging with God and his mission for you in your life. There's promises for that. Wait for the promise of the Father whom... uh, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's promises when we engage, when we wait. Number three, I love this. Look at verses six and seven. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is what they'd waited for. They knew Jesus was the promise. They knew Jesus was the fulfillment, right? They, they, they had grabbed onto that. They had grasped that. Now they were waiting for what the whole Old Testament pointed to, Right? The fulfillment, right? The, the restoration, right? All of these things. The kingdom of heaven. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority. There's assurances that we can claim in the presence of God. When we engage with the Father, when we engage with the bride, there are assurances that we can claim. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about it. Now, I, I know, I know. Some, some of you, you want to know, right? When's Jesus coming back? And you buy all the books. You, you buy all the books. See, I'm convinced that Jesus was going to come back a long time ago, and then Tim LaHaye wrote that whole series. Now Jesus is like, wait a minute, i got to see what I'm supposed to do. No, I'm just kidding. That's terrible. That's terrible. That's a terrible joke. It's not true. Right? But we, we, I know some of us, right, we want to know, right? We want to know when Jesus is going to come back. The reality is nobody knows. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows the day or the hour, right? 
But here's the thing. I know that that frustrates some of you because you want to know, but that's very freeing. Because you know what that gives the permission to us to do as the bride of Christ? To be in his presence. To be. To be. To be. It's freedom. It's freedom that we know Jesus is going to come back. And we don't have to worry about the time or hour. So we just follow him until he comes back. We just follow him. We just live in obedience. We just live in obedience. Until he comes back, there are assurances we can claim in his presence when we're engaging with the Father. Number, number four, there's power. There's power. And I love this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, this has been promised. Right? This has been promised. I mean, Jesus promises it in Luke. He's quoted again, promising it here in Acts chapter 1. We see it in John 14, right? That, that, that I'm going to be with the Father, John 14, but I'm going to send you a helper, right? If this weren't so, why would I have told you so? And, so? and so this power has been promised to these people. And there's a power in the presence of God. There's a power in the presence of His church. There is a power that we can access. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And through that power, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Through that power, you will be able to engage with the task that I have at hand for you. There's power. I read something, I don't know, the week between Christmas and New Year's. That whole week just kind of seems like a blur, right? But I read something in one of those days that said, there's nothing more dangerous. There's nothing more dangerous than a pastor that doesn't read his Bible. And I thought to myself, wow. And instead of feeling the whole weight of that myself, right, and beating myself, right, because, because that's, that's a pretty powerful statement, right, I thought, wow, I could add to that, right? There's nothing more dangerous than a church that's operating without the Holy Spirit. There's a power. There's a power. When we engage with Him. Number five, there's a mission to accept. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's the mission. There's a mission to engage with. There's a mission to accept. And then number six, number six, I want you to see this. Look at verse 13. And when they had entered the upper room, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were together. We're not alone. We're not alone. The importance of engaging with the church, the importance of engaging with the Father, is that we are not alone. 
And, and, and here's, here's the problem with this whole thing is that, is that I feel like we as the body of Christ are trying to, trying to figure this thing out. I was talking with somebody yesterday that I haven't seen probably in about 10 months and he was asking me about you and asking me about the church and all that. And I said, you know, I think the biggest challenge throughout this whole thing for me personally has been what do we do about church, right? How do we meet? When do we meet? You know, you know what does it look like when we meet? All those different things. That's been, that's been the challenge and the, the, the thing that I have carried for the last, you know, nine months or so. And it's, and it's been frustrating. It's been draining, right? And so then we have, we have to figure out how to engage versus be passive, and I think what's happened, whether we, whether we like it or not, or whether we see it or not, is that many of us, many of us, I'm not saying all of us, many of us have become passive and just withdrawn unto ourselves, withdrawn unto our families, and said, hey, it's okay, I, I, can, I can just be with this, with this group right here, I mean, and I, and, I can, and I can be content with that. But listen, that's not how we were designed. We weren't created I mean, the whole crux of the bride of Christ was community. We're going to see that. Spoiler alert. Acts, 40, Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the community. They devoted themselves to the body of Christ. We even see it here in the beginning that these 120, they went back to the upper room. They devoted themselves in prayer. They worshiped. They were together and they worshiped. They weren't alone. Go back even further to Genesis in creation. God created Adam and it was the only thing he said wasn't good was that Adam was alone. God created us for togetherness. He created us to be together. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. But that's not allowed right now. Sure it is. Sure it is. Sure it is. Don't use the excuse of COVID-19 for passivity in your faith. Stop it. Stop it. Well, but Travis, I have to be home by nine. Nothing good happens after nine. Don't we tell our kids that all the time? Well, Travis, I got to do this. I got to do that. You know, work's different. All... Listen, Hebrews chapter 12 is where I want to end. And the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. I wish we did. It's one of my first questions when I get to heaven. I know it seems small to some of you, but to me, it's very, very important. I want to know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we've we, we got, we got to answer this question. We didn't do this in the first service. Hebrews 11, right? It's the hall of faith. By faith, this happened. By faith, shut the mouths of lions. By faith, this. By faith, that. Part of the sea. You know, all these different things. And so then the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, because of all of these things, right? Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? God's testament, God's um, uh, to, to engaging with his people and, 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 and accomplishing great things through his people. We've already sung about the great things, right? Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hear me very clearly, church. I know it doesn't feel the same. I know it looks different than it did the first Sunday of 2020. 
right? When we were talking about our word for 2020, I looked at the staff. I said, you guys got any ideas? I already had one, but I just want to see what God might be speaking through them and all of that. Dylan said hindsight is the word for 2021. Hindsight's 2020. Anyway, all right. Right? But, 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 but I know it looks different. I know it feels different. But listen to me. Every single one of us, COVID or not, has a race to run. You have a race to run. You have a race to run. In the kingdom of heaven, you have a race to run. God, God, didn't, God didn't say, hey, you know what? You're good now. You don't have to be the husband that I've called you to be in March. You don't have to be the daddy that I've called you to be to disciple your kids. You don't, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to preach anymore. You don't have to spend 15 to 20 hours a week preparing sermons for their congregation that they're going to catch three to four minute bits of. You don't have to, you don't have, listen, that didn't stop. My mission, my race continued. Now, the problem was I was tempted to become passive with my race. I was tempted to kind of say, oh, we, we can stop this for a little bit. Like, the kids are getting along. Like, I can, I can just kind of take a break here, right? Wrong! The devil is still as active as he ever was, right? The need is still as great as it ever has been for my kids to have Jesus, for you to have Jesus, for my wife to be loved as Christ loved the church, right? My race never ended. I'll never forget when I became a quote-unquote runner. I'm not sure you ever become a runner. It's so counteractive to our being. But in 2008, for a series of events that I won't go into, that's part of my story. In 2008, I became a runner. I did this couch to 5K thing, and I had a goal of running 5K. So 5K day came. Saturday morning, I had two goals. Finish in under 30 minutes, and don't walk. Those are my two goals. Seems easy enough, right? 3.1 miles, finish, don't die, in under 30 minutes, right? And, and don't walk. And so me and a couple people, a couple friends signed up for this 5K. We go over, it's in North Carolina, we do it. Start running great, jogging, feeling good. Two and a half miles, which I don't know why every race coordinator does this, but they end the race uphill. They need Jesus. Okay? So like mile two and a half, I'm at the bottom of this huge hill and I'm looking up and I'm like, I gotta walk. And so I, t I tell my friends, hey, y'all go on, I'm going to walk, right? i got to walk. And they're like, nope, you can't walk. You've got to keep running. We can slow down a little bit and let you catch your breath while we're going up the hill, but you're not walking. Finished the race in 29 minutes, 39 seconds, didn't walk. I had 21 seconds to walk, <laughs> but they didn't let me walk. That 20, that 20 seconds would have been life-changing. Anyway, I accomplished my goal, right? My, both my goals. I didn't, I didn't die and finished under 30 minutes, and I didn't walk, right? So many of us, when it comes to engaging with Christ, when it comes to engaging with His bride, the church, when it comes to engaging with the mission of the community, 
over these last months. Even if you've continued to attend, have become passive towards our faith. Instead of running our race. Not only have we started walking, but we've taken a seat at that mile two and a half and said, I'm not going up this hill. I've been up enough hills. I'm done with hills. God, when you clear this hill and you flatten it, I'll get up and start walking again. But for now, and because we haven't been engaged, there's not a group of people that are standing around looking and saying, no, 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 we're not walking. You're not sitting. You got a half a mile, pal. We're finishing this race. The writer of Hebrews says there's a race to run. Let us run. Let's run. Let's run. No excuses. Figure it out. Figure it out. Figure it out. If you're not meeting in person, fine. Figure out how to run your race. Figure out how to run your race. Figure out how to engage with the body. Figure out how to engage with the body. I was having a conversation with a couple back in, uh, in December when I dropped off a Christmas Eve candle to him. I haven't seen him in months. And he's like, I'm going for a walk every day. That's, that's the only time we, we leave the house. We go out, we go for a walk, we come back in. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, if I'm going to engage with them, I've got to go have a walk at lunchtime around Gorm. Right? We've, we've got to figure it out. Right? No excuses. Don't use this as an excuse. Don't use the fact that the chairs are scattered as an excuse. Some of you really enjoy because you can kind of lean back and lean on the wall, take a little snooze, you know, all these different things, right? right? No more excuses because there's a race to run. There's a race to run. There's a mission to embrace and accept. So, that word let's. Let's run. You ready to run? Some of you are like, man, can we just use any other analogy than run? I just don't like running. I was going to dress up in my running gear this morning, but it was like 15 degrees outside. It was too cold, so you get this, all right? But there's five characteristics in that word let's. I want to break it down for you. The first one, that L stands for limitations, right? There's limitations that we face. There's obstacles. There's hills, right? There's cramps. There's, there's things that come in the way. There are limitations that come when we're running a race. The second, the E stands for, that's, that's the engagement piece, right? That's the engagement piece. We've got to engage with the race. We've got to be in the race, right? Our mind's got to be in there. We've got to prepare for it. We've got to eat a ton of pasta the night before, right? We've got to engage. We've got to engage with the race. We've got to be in it fully, right? The T, the T stands for, I thought I had it. Give me the T. The task, the mission, the task at hand. Then the apostrophe, the apostrophe, that's replacing the U, right? So that's you. That's you, right? And then the S is the success, right? Christ's success, his success, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, embracing the shame, right? His success, his victory. So let's look at this a little bit. Let every, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to 
so closely, right? He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. I think, some, I think sometimes we mistake those and, and think they're one, right? That we got to lay aside our sins. No, 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 no. You can have weights that aren't sins. There, there can be things that you're carrying around. There can be baggage that you're carrying around that's slowing your race down. Thoughts, opinions, you know, all the agendas, all these different things. Unforgiveness, hurt, scars, wounds, all these weights that are weighing you down, that are, that are affecting your engagement, that are affecting your race, that aren't sin. They can lead to sin. Unforgiveness lasts long enough, turns into bitterness, right? They can lead to sin, right? But the writer of Hebrews is clear. Let us lay aside both weights and sin, which clings so closely to us, and let us run. So there's some limits that we've got to overcome. There's some limitations we've got to overcome. The engagement piece, right? The engagement piece. We've got to engage so that we don't give up. So that we don't give up. We need some people in our life that love us enough to grab us by the shirt and say, you're finishing this race. You're finishing this race. I'm not going to let you quit. I know you can do this. I know you can do this. Back in the fall, I know this is going to sound like I'm bragging on my kid, but just, just hear, hear, hear the whole story. Hear the point, okay? Back in the fall, Micah, fifth grader, right? No, no basketball groups open to fourth and fifth graders. And so I enter into Bria's seventh and eighth grade group. And she goes there, and the first day, she gets in the car and just bursts into tears. She, she'd hate me if she knew I was telling you the story, so don't tell her, okay, when you see her later, okay? She would really be upset with this one, all right? She bursts into tears. Daddy, I can't go back. I can't hang. I can't do the things that these girls are doing. I'm the last one to finish every single time. And I'm like, well, bud, we've already paid for it, so you got to go. Like, you got to keep going. You can't quit. I'm not going to let you quit. And I'm like, one day, you're going to really appreciate the fact that you didn't quit. So she went for six weeks. Six weeks, every Sunday afternoon, outdoor courts. They were wearing masks, the whole bit. They were staying. Everybody had their own ball, the whole thing, right? And she's going, and she gets a little bit better, and a little bit better, and a little bit better. And now she's playing with girls her age. And guess what? She gets in the car this past Tuesday and she said, Daddy, these drills are too easy. They're too easy for me. And I'm like, you want to go play with the 7th and 8th graders? No, I'm good. I'm good. But why is it easy for her? Because she didn't quit. She didn't quit. She didn't give up. She wanted to. Everything in her wanted to. She didn't talk to me for like a good two minutes. <laughs> it was longer than that. There's a task at hand. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There's a task at hand. To know Him and to make Him known. There's a task at hand to love one another, 
to love one another. No greater love than this. We just talked about this a couple weeks ago. That one laid down his life for his friends. There's a task at hand. And then you. And here's what we've got to do with the you. We've got to replace it with, with him. Ephesians 5.1, imitate Christ therefore as his dear children, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And I love what my friend Russ says about this verse. That the joy that was set before him when he endured the cross was you. It was me. We were on the mind of Christ on the cross. Which leads us to the victory. The fact that the victory is in yours alone. It's yours in Christ Jesus who paid the price for you. I can't think of a better mission, of a better family, of a better father to engage with. And so as we look at this for these next weeks, as we look at this for the next year, I want to invite you Let's walk together as we engage with the Father. Let's walk together as we engage with each other. And let's walk together as we engage with a community that needs to know Him. That needs Him. And my question for you is, Dylan and Kristen are going to come and we're going to close with a song. My question for you is this. What limitation do you need to overcome? so that you can engage? What thought pattern do you need to lay aside so that you can see yourself as a beloved son or daughter? So that you can see yourself as a vital part of the body? So that you can see yourself as one with a story to tell? With a story to tell, we were at men's breakfast yesterday morning, right here. And one of the things we're doing with men's breakfast this year is we've asked different guys to share their testimonies. So fellas, come to men's breakfast because you don't have to listen to me preach again. It's other guys that are sharing their stories. As I sat back there about where Brian's sitting in his red sweaters, I sat and listened to Aaron Gant share his testimony yesterday morning. Some of the things he said, I thought to myself, man, he's got a story to tell. And he told it that I could never tell. Matt Tibbetts, when he shares in February, he's got a story to tell that I could never tell. Dan Garrish, when he shares in March, he's got a story to tell that I could never tell. What's holding you back from telling your story? to people that need Jesus. They need to be encouraged to walk with the same Father that you're walking with. To engage with the body of Christ. Let us lay it aside. Let us lay it aside. Y'all ready to run?
Let's run. Pray with me. Father, whatever limitations we're facing, we feel, we sense. God, I pray that you would show us that they're nothing compared to your power. God, the promise here is that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So God, I pray, maybe most importantly, that we walk in step with your Spirit. God, that we, we can't engage in our own strength, but through the power of your Spirit, we can walk with you, we can walk with each other, we can walk and share you with the people that we come in contact with. And so I pray that. I pray for that boldness. I pray for that confidence in you as we go. God, that we would walk with you. That we would engage with your bride, the church, in whatever way that looks like. And that we would embrace your mission. In Jesus' name.